0: Andy. Morning everybody. I'm going to set a timer because I've done that classic thing where I prepared the right amount of stuff and then God just keeps dropping stuff into my heart. So I'm going to be cutting and pasting as we go. So I'm going to set a timer. (laughs) Also in my defense, this sermon was prepared for last week so it wouldn't have been Father's Day. So I probably wouldn't have led with a story about my dad but I'm going to because that's what's in my notes. It's not as good as the Uncle Brian metaphorical glass eye. I'm really sorry. It's not that funny. (laughs) But my dad was a builder. So his ethics were that you work for what you got. So when we needed anything, he gave us a job to do. Or when he needed slave labor at a cut price rate, he gave us a job to do. But my dad wasn't a bloke who said, if you come and do this job for me, I will give you thus much money it was always on peace rate to make sure we concentrated. He once paid me to stand on a building site and shout at a lad called called, uh, Eddie to make sure he kept digging the foundations. This didn't end well, because Eddie chased me around the site with a pickaxe after an hour, because he was notoriously lazy. That's not the story. So this one particular day, my dad had acquired a building, which he took down, and he was building a house for us on that land. Now... He was reusing all the materials, not because he was eco-friendly, but because it was cheaper. So what we had was a pile of stairfoot red brick covered in Victorian mortar, which is not very easy to get off. So Dad paid me and one other person a penny a brick to clean these bricks so they could be reused. So he set up, it was very fair, he set up a workstation, and there was a pile of bricks for my mate and a pile for me where we put our clean bricks. So we could be paid the right amount. So I got cracking, and it wasn't the easiest job I've ever done. It was the hardest job I've ever done, actually, as as it works out. Anyway, my mate lasted less than an hour and made about 40p. I stayed all day from the minute he dropped me off to the minute he picked me up, and I cleaned 500 bricks so they could be reused. This is my contribution. So I like eco-society and recycle. I cleaned 500 bricks in a day. I had hands red raw, even though I was wearing gloves. And he paid me the princely sum of a fiver, the agreed rate. Now, for anybody out there who's going, oh, that was probably a lot of money. That's all right. She probably got a house and a car. I'm not that old. I was still underpaid. This morning, we're going to look at a parable. From the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus told parables to demonstrate kingdom principles. He told stories. He told stories about things that people would relate to and understand. Most of the stories don't have a single findable meaning. They're like, they've like got layers. There's things you can dig into and scrabble about it and, and, and go at it forever. I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm going to take one commonly accepted reading of this parable because there's something in it that I want to really unpack. But you see, most parables begin that the kingdom of God is like, not the kingdom of God is. So what Jesus is offering is not a perfect picture of the whole of the kingdom of God, but a snapshot of an aspect of something which teaches us about the kingdom of God. And it's really important when we read parables, we understand that, because if we think there's a literal meaning, we're going to be disappointed, because... Actually, it's it's an indication of something. It's an invitation to dig deeper. They're designed to make us ask questions about who God is and who we are and where we fit with him. It's like a good film trailer. It tells you just enough to get you going. So you want to go see the film. Yeah, so that's a parable. Uh, Could you put the words up for me, please, um, Mikey? Right. Reading from Matthew 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one's hired, as they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last one hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received an denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us, borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I've not been unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do that? Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. See, Jesus told his parables to crowds of ordinary people. But there were people who were already there listening to him, so they'd shown an interest. They were searching, they were trying to understand who Jesus was. The scenarios Jesus presented in parables often related to, to work, to farming, to fishing to things that people would understand. Because there's absolutely no point talking to a group of fishermen about rocket science. For a start, we haven't invented the rocket. so. But he, Jesus connects with people using tools. He connects with them using a the thing that they'll understand. But there's always an unexpected twist or different way of viewing things to challenge people's views and perspectives. As I said this morning, I'm going to quickly run through this parable, um, because there's there's something in it I want to focus on, and my time clock is running. First, I want to think about, this story is like a little play, so there's protagonists in it, there are players, there are people, there are actors. There's a landowner, there's five groups of workers hired at five different times of the day, and a foreman who's in charge of the payroll. A common way to interpret this parable, which is what we're going to work with this morning because it supports my point, and that's what preachers do, is to see the landowner as a representation of God and the workers as those who are called to work for him. They represent those who accept God's invitation. So it's a picture of salvation. It's a picture of coming into relationship with God. Some work all day, others come later, and some come right at the end of the working day. The foreman acts as the agent between the landowner and garden, and pays the money. He acts according to his master's instructions to make things happen. The action of the story happens in two places. It happens in the marketplace, which is a place of commerce, buying and selling, a place of hiring, a place where debates would happen, where people would exchange opinions and ideas. So that's like, it's like a secular melting pot of ideas. That's our world. The vineyard is the place that the people are hired to come and work in. That represents God's kingdom in this story. And we're going to run with that interpretation because I want to crack on. I think we can draw a comparison between the way the landowner himself goes and seeks out the laborers in the marketplace. Why doesn't he send the foreman? He himself goes and says, What are you doing? Come and work for me. This is a picture of Jesus himself coming and seeking us out. What are you doing with your life? Come and follow me. Isn't that really important? Because you'd think the landowner would say, Foreman, go and find me some workers. But no, he goes himself. You see, Jesus came to seek and save the lost." God steps down from heaven into relationship with us through Jesus. So the parable represents a scenario that would have been commonplace, actually, because in an agricultural society, works seasonal. So people would understand the concept of making themselves available to work at harvest and standing in the marketplace. They might do something else the rest of the year, but there's a book to be made because crops need bringing in. So Jesus brings a situation that people would have understood. But the extraordinary element in this story told by Jesus is the concept of equal pay for all, regardless of how long they've worked or what they've done. I wish somebody had told my dad about that. (laughs) See, I think this is Jesus' teachings about salvation. Salvation. Because when Jesus laid his life down for us, he paid the same price for everyone. Whether you've been an absolute goody-two-shoes, fantastic, virtuous person, or a little bit wild, a wild child, the same price was paid on the cross for every one of us, whatever our situation or circumstances. You see... The price paid to cover the penalty of our sin was the same. And equally, the reward we gain when we come to Christ is the same. One price, one reward. Actually, the reward we gain is relationship with God, the Father, through Jesus. And it's available to anybody who will ask and receive. Same rate of pay. Same paid for us, same paid back to us. But the same in God. this is what I really want to look at. I want to look at this worker's complaint. It's not fair. It's not fair. I came first. Basically, that's what they say. It's not fair because we did more, and yet we gained the same reward. But it was the agreed price. They were paid what was promised. The contract had been agreed, and it was met. There was no cause for complaint. When we, we've got two children, and when they used to, say to us, but that's not fair, we used to say, life's not fair, get used to it. I'm still 50-50 on whether that was good or bad parenting. 50-50. It might, it might have been a good idea, but actually it's true, life isn't fair. And our Father God is definitely not fair with us. Let's have this one out now. We do not get what we deserve. Instead, he's loving and generous and allows us to have a relationship with him. It's not fair. Our salvation not fair. We haven't done anything to earn it. It's a gift of grace. Utterly a gift of grace. See, we can only have a relationship with God because Jesus, who was completely holy, gave his life for us. That's, that's the thing that allows us to enter into God's kingdom. You see, our society is like my dad. It says, work hard, get paid. It says, climb the ladder. It says, climb the tree, be the top. Our society's values are all hierarchical. Think about it. In a school class of 30, there could only ever be one person at the top and loads of people chasing it. So there were always going to be 29 people who weren't at the top. But even in school, it was hierarchical. At work, we try for promotion to get to the top. Whatever your particular tree is, you try and climb it. In my experience, all that got me was a load of grief. It really did. No to people management. Ah. See, the problem with these hierarchical values is that's kind of all right out there where we've got to fend for ourselves, but it's not okay in the church. The church isn't hierarchical. The church shouldn't be a place where people try to get to the top of the tree. Actually, God's kingdom is the one place where everybody's on the same level because the same price was paid, and our salvation is the same. All roles in God's kingdom carry the same status, child of God. Some roles carry greater responsibilities. But really, there's only one status, child of God. Maybe this is a Father's Day sermon. The things we do are not the things we are. I'm going to say that again because I need to hear this. Joe, the things you do are not the person you are. Thank you. If you've asked Jesus into your life, you're a child of God. There's no promotion available because you've already made the grade. You're a child of God. You made the grade because Jesus paid the price. So don't expect promotion. Because there isn't one. One of the things I find interesting in this dispute between the workers and the vineyard owner is that if the foreman had paid people in the sensible, practical way, which would have been the people who came first, you've been here all day, mate. Just take your pay and go. Get your feet up. Have a rest. It would have never come to light, would it? There wouldn't have been an argument because the people who come first would have been paid first and gone home and they wouldn't know that the people who came last got the same as them. This fascinated me when the penny dropped. I'd read it about three times when I worked it out. It's the order in which the landowner pays the people that actually causes the resentment. That's where the argument sparks. Isn't that fascinating? But if we turn this around and start thinking about it as a parable that tells us something about the kingdom, the kingdom of God is like... There's something really interesting here. If we accept that analogy that I laid out and said that we would for this morning, you see, in the kingdom, those who've served longest do actually get a bonus. Doesn't change the status. To get a bonus, they get to see other people join the kingdom. They get to see other people come and be blessed. They get to see other people join and connect and grow and learn. That's the privilege. That's the bonus for long service. We get to see other people join. Isn't it amazing? Like when the penny dropped in my head, I actually heard it clunk. See, I, I like speaking. But when the next generation come up and go, Come on, Grandma, sit down. I've got something more relevant to say. I'll be listening and cheering them on. Going, yes, job done. Job done. Because the church isn't a competition field. It's a family. The church is one body united through love. There isn't a tree to climb. Not unless we help each other and all go together. It'd be a big tree. It's Father's Day. Even the desire of a good parent to see their kids prosper is only a poor reflection of God's, f- God's love for us. So like, like I said, if somebody comes along as younger who wants to, wants to take over from me, brilliant. When you have kids, you want them to do better than you did. You want them to have greater opportunities than you had. You want them to push further and deeper into everything they can do. I am currently quite jealous of my daughter. She's, she's, she's all right because, you know. She's doing cool things. But 30 years ago, when I was a woman working in predominantly a man's world, I had to fight huge, lots of prejudice and bigotry to be doing what I was doing. My daughter's now competing on equal terms with blokes who do the same thing as her. And she faces a smaller amount of opposition because things are moving on. And I'm pleased for her for that. And she, she's, her opportunity is greater than the opportunity I had brilliant. And that's what we want for our children. And if you haven't got children and you are a child, which I think I've now covered everybody sitting here unless we've got something really weird going on, um, then be assured your parents wanted more for you than they had. They wanted you to go further and have more and achieve more because that's our natural desire. But that natural desire mirrors God's character, which is for us all the time. I know, because I have mixed emotions on Father's Day, that it's always going to be problematic for people because of lots of issues. You may have lost your father. You may be glad you've lost your father. <laughs> I haven't lost him. He's just misplaced. He's in France somewhere. It's yes. great. He's in another country, it doesn't matter. You, you may, do you know, Father's Day is really, it's one of those things that really messes people up. And I say this from experience, if you are a child of God today, you've got the best father. You've got the best father. That's part of that that security that we've been singing about this morning. What we've got can't be taken from us. What we've got can't be bested. I've got the best dad. I've got the best. I can't say he's better than your dad because he's your dad too. But you get the argument our father god wants us to wants to see us prosper and grow and every day he encourages us to go deeper in our understanding of him cheers us on i tried to understand this parable by thinking how i'd feel if i'd been one of the workers who'd worked all day and got the same money see my inbred work ethic is i'll stand and clean bricks all day long till the cows come on because that's the only way i could please him but I understand why the workers were annoyed. And I remember my mum arguing with dad for paying the person who scarped after half an hour less than me. But it doesn't work that way in the church. We cannot earn the gifts God gives us. They are only through grace. I'm going to give you a quick reminder about grace. Somebody said this years ago in a sermon I listened to, and it's, it's something that reminds me what grace is, what I need to remember. God's riches at Christ's expense God's riches at Christ's expense that's grace everything that we have in God comes at Christ's expense he paid the price See our society thinks in terms of success and hierarchy and leads us into a comparison of const, constant uh, a culture of constant comparisons which is really unhelpful Wherever you are, wherever you're doing, whether you're a play golf, when you start comparing yourself to other people, you, you're never happy. It's just a thing, isn't it? When we compare ourselves all the time, it causes division. Can you put up the first slide for me, please, Dave? I tried to explain this concept to, to, to Neil over tea, and we got confused, so hopefully you can read that. So we've got a hierarchical thing. We try not to, but we think we're climbing a tree, so... Putting chairs out might get us onto the welcome team and be a connect group leader, and eventually we might be a pastor or an international ministry person. But this picture just isn't the church. It's the thing that we bring into the church from outside. So if you're a T-boy in a big corporation, you might think, I could work my way up to CEO. See, it's a traditional hierarchy, and when we do that in the church, we get into a mess because we start to measure the thing we do against the thing somebody else does and sometimes when we do that do you know what we do we actually we're doing this thing and this is perfectly in God's will for us and everything's we're in the sweet spot and God's blessing that but we want what's there so we step out of it and that just leads to disappointment because you've stepped out of the sweet spot the bit where you're in God's will are you doing exactly what he wants you to do Being in leadership isn't a higher status than serving. It's just a greater responsibility. It's the same status in God, child of God. It's all child of God. And we're called to serve each other. But pray for your leaders because they carry greater responsibility. Not greater status, greater responsibility. can miss the best that God's got for us by striving to have someone else's best the happiest we can ever be is at the center of God's will for us and the greatest risk in comparison is that we get overwhelmed or disheartened because we think we should be somebody else God made us us for a reason I'm me for a reason There's no point in me trying to be Megan, because that's not who God made me. It's really important, sorry, I'm laboring this, but it's really important to remember that our relationship with God and our relationship with each other doesn't come out of the things we do. It cannot come out of the things we do. In order to grow spiritual, we need to put down roots. So instead of that, I want to look at the tree roots. Dave? Right. We need to put down roots. We're called to dig into the soil of God's grace rather than our own ambition. You see, discipleship's a journey. A journey which encourages us to love the word of God. It encourages us to worship, to spend time in prayer and study. Our characters form by spending time with God and through our relationships in the family of God. So discipleship is a process of our roots growing deeper in grace, not climbing a tree. Sometimes the tough times that we go through teach us to push on. We learn things. Growth happens in us and in those around us. So don't Don't despise the tough times, because sometimes they're the times when God's saying, put your roots down deeper. Let's not worry about that up thing. Put your roots down deeper. Follow the discipleship path. Love the words. Study. Build relationships. Let your character be developed as you grow in me. See, sometimes when God places gifting in there, because gifting's in there too in putting our roots down, but sometimes when God puts gifting in us, we're the last ones to see it. Because the gifts God gives us don't elevate us. They enable us to serve. The gifts God gives us don't lift us above. They enable us to serve. They enable us to serve God and to serve each other. That's what the gifts are for. They're to build each other up. So, if like the workers, we see somebody come in late and get the same pay, we start to grumble, we've, we've missed something. Because actually this is the point where we should rejoice in God working in somebody else's life. And when we let that kind of thinking fill us up instead of the hierarchical thing, actually then we're wanting to see other people prosper. I love it when people get there faster than I did because I was slow. I took my time getting there. And that's because God kept bringing me around to that one at the bottom character and dealing with my character. Getting the roots right word and worship, study and prayer, character and gifting, loving relationships. Those are the things that platform, they're, they're the platform that God builds on. See, Jesus is our role model, and he served while he led. So if we want to lead, we must serve. Church leadership isn't like being a CEO, chief executive officer. It's not a top-down organization. Well, actually, it is, but there's only one person at the top, and it's Jesus. It's Jesus. The rest of us have the same status, child of God, with some additional responsibilities. We're equal. Can I have the the next slide, Dave? So this has come out a little bit smaller than I want it to be. I think most of you will be able to read it if you're not right at the back. But I'll I'll read you the stuff in the tree in a minute. Getting the roots right grows a proper tree, not some kind of weird stepladder tree. Healthy roots grow healthy fruits. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I wrote it down and thought, no, I'm gonna have to use it. It's corny, but I like it. Healthy roots grow healthy fruits. When we dig down into the good soil, we find that we become more like Jesus. So I'm getting some either some criticism or some amusement. <laughs> When we dig down into the good soil, we find that we become more like Jesus. God develops in us these characteristics I've written in the branches. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I'm not claiming any credit for that. That's not my list. You'll find it in Galatians. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that's the evidence of God's work in us. The fruit of the Holy Spirit more even than the gifting because that's the character that God places in us and what the people who, who we want to reach with the message of Jesus will see is character. People see character. People see his character. They really do. The parable ends with the words, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Jesus overturns society's normal, whatever normal is. Pridge. Privilege, because that's actually what we gain when we come into the kingdom, we gain the privilege of being considered a child of God. Privilege isn't an accident of birth anymore in our world. It's not an old school tie. Our God pays his workers the same. Salvation. It's an outrageously costly price that was paid. The price of the father laying down his son's life, perfect and sinless for us. So if you want to be a leader, you've got to be first and foremost a servant. There's no ladder to climb in God's kingdom. Just a deeper understanding of grace, which must always lead us back to service. Can I have the band back, please? I feel like we need some kind of end to this. I'm not sure what it is yet. But I think, that, I think that God wants to meet us where we're at. And if you have a problem in your thinking because you compare yourself to other people and constantly are disappointed or put down or put off because you find yourself wanting, come forward and let somebody pray with you. Because you're worth as much as anybody else. So if in your head you've got this... Must climb the ladder, must climb the ladder, must climb the ladder going off. Come on, let Jesus take your ladder away. If you suffer with comparison to other people and you think that what I'm doing isn't good enough, come on, let's pray for you. Because you are 100% good enough because Jesus paid the price. You get that? It's not about our effort. It's about his grace. It's all about his grace. So I'm going to hand over to the band. If you'd like to be prayed for, please come out and, um, and we'd love to pray for you. Oh, uh, if you're new, you're really welcome. If you want to connect with us or know anything more about us, we've got a new Connections Corner in the corner. Just go over there and chat to somebody. Okay. Why do we all stand?